0: Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Monash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Austin, Texas. Welcome my good friend, Micah Yala. Victor, I'm honored to be on the show. Appreciate it. Great to have you here. Now, Mike, you have taken quite a journey from construction management to investing in mobile home parks and all kinds of different asset classes. Love to chat about what is happening in the current environment and getting regrounded and refocused with so much that has changed. But maybe before we do that, let's jump in and get a little bit of your backstory, how you got to this point in your journey. You know, I, real quick, Victor, as a side note,
1: I was just thinking back to this as we were doing a mic check and, um, I think you were the, either the first or second podcast that I was ever on. Okay. Uh, yeah. And cool. it's kind of crazy, the the journey, you know, now, you know, going forward and I, I think I'm on episode almost 300 of my podcast. So nice. um, yeah, it's, it's been good. So background, um, I was a plumber by trade, started a plumbing and heating company in 2004 um, and as many of us do, you know, I I started the progression. I I got into real estate, and it just made a lot of sense. We were, you know, making a lot of money. We were on the Inc. fastest growing companies in America in 2009, and fortunately, I was one of them that found a good CPA early on, and they started advising me to move toward real estate, and so we started investing in single families early on. But then all of a sudden, you know, in year two, a mobile home park deal fell in my lap, and I had a mentor at the time that you know, I took the deal too. And he, he said, man, this is a home run. He helped me get the deal done. And so that was like 2007. And that's really how I got started in the the mobile home park investing space. But you fast forward a little bit, I sold that business in the plumbing and HVAC business in 2014, but Karen and I had continued to invest in real estate. We had um, got a single family portfolio of 45 homes. We ended up buying five mobile home parks and some commercial buildings that our businesses were in, et cetera. And um, that's kind of about the time that I really ran into and and met you it was probably 2016. Um, I met the real estate guys and and you know I had sold my business and kind of looking at the journey and what's next and that's how I connected uh, really with the real estate world and met my partner Andrew and we started uh, syndicating mobile home parks and then that's really where I found you and a lot of the other people that I consider mentors and friends in the real estate world and you know back to the crazy times we're in I don't think there's a more important thing as I look backwards to having those mentors and people that are full of sage wisdom and probably more importantly have their bruises and and punches from years past. So we've we've been living in some good times and it's great to have people like you that have been at this for a while that have levels of wisdom that you know maybe some of us that haven't seen it as many times can rely on.
0: Well, it's very easy in an environment that is at least appears to be stable and and growing and all of the rest to get a little bit complacent and let your guard down a little bit. You know, it happens to everybody. It's certainly, I would say it's even happened to us to some degree. And it's been a wake-up call. It's been an opportunity to to check and say, where did I take a little bit too much risk here? I mean, it's nothing catastrophic, but you definitely, it's definitely a wake-up call. And it's caused me to get regrounded. Uh, your comment about mentors is absolutely true. I mean, one of my mentors, Mr. George Ross, who is a frequent guest on the show, we talk frequently and his sage advice at 94 years of age is, is the wisdom of the ages. Absolutely. I think it was said that people become overly optimistic in the good times and overly pessimistic in the bad times. And it's really a pendulum swing. Mm-hmm. it's absolutely a pendulum swing. So as you're looking at refocusing today, what's working, what's not working, what do you want to change? Well, you know, what's interesting, and I'm I'm just thinking back to, and, and I think it's times like this.
1: And when we have these discussions about true experienced leaders in the space and mentors that are willing to have those honest conversations, I've I've sat on some of the calls with you and and George, and I appreciate that. And one of the things that I love about George Ross is, you know, he's willing to talk about the good and the bad, um, you know, the wins and the losses. And that's one of the things that, you know, sometimes there's that old saying that life doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. And, and honestly, for us right now, I'm in kind of a unique situation because we actually got a little bit over our skis just pre COVID. We started buying a lot of distressed assets, we were heavily in the turnaround space when it came to mobile home parks. And so when 2020 hit and we couldn't get inventory, we couldn't um, set new homes. We had to shut down our our traveling construction crew because you know, they, they literally lived all over the country and they were living in our mobile home parks while they were remodeling. We got some black eyes during that time and it caused us to really regroup, refocus, shrink our, our business plan, stop acquiring and really solve some problems then. And so honestly we're not really feeling a major impact at this point in time because we worked really hard to fix some of our challenges in 2020 and so you know when we talk about those bruises i'm actually grateful for for what happened then because if we were up against a wall now we might be up against um some some challenges but we've solved a lot of problems and and honestly like even in the mobile home park space a lot of our higher interest debt which like we have a big line of credit that we use to finance um homes and it's at 7% and that was a high interest rate you know 2 years ago when we were getting this line of credit but the fact now if we went out and tried to get a line of credit at 7% for chattel loans right now yeah you couldn't do it yeah i couldn't have planned this Victor, but thinking through it, we're actually in a good, we're in a good time and affordable housing is, is probably more in demand than it's ever been. That doesn't change some of the fundamentals that we have to think about. Like how are people going to pay their rents and how are people going to afford to, you know, buy these homes, et cetera. So I think everybody has to look through a different lens and it also doesn't change. You know, what does this look like in two years, three years when we, are ready to sell or refinance. So I'm not sure what all that's going to look like. But at the end of the day, I think some of the fundamentals in our business people need affordable housing as long as we can continue to get homes in a timely manner, um, as long as we can find labor to remodel those homes and service those homes. It's just we're back to some of the fundamental problems that I think we've been needing to think about and solve for a while, but COVID kind of accelerated that. And again, I think it's some of the fundamental problems. It's labor, it's material, it's cost of capital that I think is really what's hurting us at this point.
0: Oh, there's no question. I mean, we've seen material costs actually come down fairly broadly over the last several months, certainly lumber, uh, but other materials as well. And there are some materials that have gone up in price. There's no question. But when I look at hard construction costs today, I'm not scared by that. I'm perfectly okay with it. I'm much more concerned about the cost of capital. It's risen far faster than the cost of materials ever did. And, And that's absolutely a bigger risk item. It's caused us to put some projects on hold, projects that are very strong projects. But if you can't predict what interest rates will be in 24 months, it's hard to pull the trigger with confidence and say, you're going to come out on the right side of that 24 months from now.
1: Yeah, you know, and I have a really hard time reconciling in my brain. I, I wouldn't consider myself a, a, a financial expert by any means, but also I'm having a hard time reconciling like what does that look like because there's already demand, and I think it's working. I think what the Fed is trying to do is 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 literally working. But I saw a chart yesterday that builder sentiment is as low as it's ever been, and yet also buyer sentiment is as low as it's ever been because of affordability. So I don't know where this crosses and. You know, I think on the other side of it, we still have a problem because affordability is an issue when it comes to housing, which again is our core space. But if if housing construction is being slowed and people like you are not taking on new projects, I don't know where this delta crosses.
0: Where it's difficult is the Fed has changed their methodology and the Bureau of Labor and Statistics have changed their methodology. So the actual true cost of housing never goes into the CPI. They have this thing called owner equivalent rent where there's an imputed rent. To the 65% of the population that are actual homeowners. So those transactions never actually make it into the CPI. The fact that your mortgage rate has doubled and and your mortgage payment might have gone from, I don't know, $1,500 a month to $2,500 a month, that doesn't show up in their statistics at all. and And so it's a little bit misleading. And so even if those costs come down, It it doesn't really help. It doesn't really help the CPI metric that they're looking at because it's not part of the measurement. And so that's why I worry a little bit that uh, these imputed rents are going to make it very difficult for the appearance of a fall in inflation to happen in a timely manner. I mean, there's a massive time lag. If you look at how they calculate the owner equivalent rent, takes them almost a year to put that number together. So they do it in bits and pieces month over month in different regions of the country. So a, bi- a big chunk of what's showing up, it's 40% of the core CPI, is bound up in a number that's a year old. Mm. So you're not going to get the effect of last month's interest rate increase showing up on data that's a year old. It's just impossible. So I agree with you. I think it's ultimately going to work in the sense that it's going to suppress demand but i think they're going to break a lot of things in the meantime. Yeah, i agree
1: with that. And then again, you know, to your point, you you said this, you've put a lot of projects on hold when they break these things in the meantime. The other side of it is what gets a little concerning to me because i don't know, i just i look at our waiting list of people that want homes in our communities is as long as it's ever been and and that's just an indicator. I mean, when you look at i don't know, i just i just don't see affordable housing keeping up with the demand.
0: Well, absolutely. That's that's absolutely true. And so you're in a good space. Uh there's no question about it. We've seen mobile home parks struggle and they're not building new ones. Very few of them are getting approved uh, as a new as a new build. The existing ones, many of them are in their sunset. They're mom and pop owned. They have been you know people don't even take electronic payments they you know they have to do it the old school way with with manual checks i mean I'm, all of those sorts of things are happening in that segment of the industry so there's extraordinary opportunity to modernize and streamline and improve efficiency and improve cost structure and all of those things which is a big part of what you're doing and what i can't get a clear picture of is is the market stigma around mobile home parks changed? Are people actually willing, is the demand for that product actually increasing, or is it seen as the housing of last resort? I
1: don't know that as much work has been done to change the stigma. I think it's probably still primarily seen, especially from an external view. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of our residents that actually live there and are looking at houses that are there, et cetera, don't have that sentiment. I think from an outside perspective and view, There's a lot of people that would resist that and the stigma may never go away. One of the things that I think, uh, and I don't know if you saw this, but the White House came out and Ben Carson with uh, HUD has been working on this for a while, but the White House came out probably four months ago, maybe five months ago, talking about incentives that they were going to push and even getting Fannie and Freddie into financing chattel loans. Hmm. And that's where it starts to get interesting because if, if the government can help incentivize the financing of newer homes... That's one of the things that may help to turn these around even faster. Because as park owners, even you know the legacy owners that you were talking about, if there's a home that's sitting there that's from 1974 and it's habitable, and the residents can afford it, they may not want to uh, upgrade. But if we can incentivize them and help them through HUD and various financings to upgrade their home, they may, may be more interested in doing that. So I think that might be what, you know, some of the things that really get this over the hurdle is, is creating opportunities where the government gets involved in financing better homes on a longer term.
0: That's a very interesting development. If it, if it happens that I think will change the landscape significantly because now you have the, you have at least the opportunity of getting maybe assumable loans, maybe longer amortization periods uh, and maybe even non-recourse debt for the park owner. I don't know that might be interesting. That could change the landscape significantly.
1: Yeah. Cause I think that's one of the biggest things. I mean, you can, you can clean up the communities, you can provide safety, but really until we start getting some of the, it's really hard to get a resident that owns their home to fix up the exterior of the home. So if we can incentivize them with government backed 30 year, even 20 year loans, that might be the thing that, that tips the pendulum.
0: Well, Mike, it's always great to catch up on loving the perspective. Uh, Folks want to connect if they want to learn more, what's the best way?
1: Uh, I have a podcast called investing for freedom
0: Um, there twice a week. And then Instagram at the Mike Ayala. If you're interested in learning more about mobile home parks, you definitely want to connect with Mike Ayala and check out the investing for freedom podcast. It's available on all the podcasting platforms. You may ever want to listen to. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow.